0: Hi, this is Dominic Zangrilli
1: And this is Gabby Gomez, and you're listening to Got Touch, the podcast.
0: With your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Got Tech, the podcast, episode seven. In this episode, we're excited to talk to our very first student guests about what Teacher Appreciation Week means to them. Our question of the day comes from a former student, now teacher, who wants to know more about the ever-changing landscape of grading. We'll end the show by sharing an amazing resource called the Technology Integration Matrix, followed by our next Tech Battle Royale. Hey everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about teacher appreciation in honor of Teacher Appreciation Day, which was this past week. I know in a recent episode, I talked a little bit about some of the things that inspired me to be a teacher and become a teacher. When I was in high school, I had a chemistry teacher, actually Mr. Hodge, who was so exciting and just made this science so interesting. He's always shown us really cool things about different demonstrations and just sort of gave me not only a love of chemistry, but also made teaching look so fun that I kind of decided that that would be something that I wanted to pursue in my life and that's sort of what brought me to the profession and I think everybody has a story like that. We've all got at least one or two teachers from elementary through high school that really inspired us, put us on on a path, let us kind of clued us into something that we're interested in or inspired a passion that maybe we didn't even know that we had. Guys, I know you've talked about some people uh, yourself with uh, similar stories. Yeah,
3: I talked about a coach that really influenced me but if I had to throw a teacher out there I would definitely go with my sixth grade elementary teacher his name was Larry Kennedy and he just had a way to keep me in check I was one of those kids that was very squirrely in my seat I remember doing some weird things like I came in from recess and decided I wanted to sit in the back of the room next to the fan with my shirt off oh yeah those types of things I
2: used to try and sit in a box like an old paper box behind the door it was weird yeah it is very weird
3: but the way that these teachers handle us when we're acting that way can really make a difference and draw you in. For me, very hyperactive. Sometimes I I couldn't control what was coming out of my mouth a little bit. I just remember he had these little sayings that kind of brought me back. He even once uh, put me in a tin trash can and rolled me down the hallway. (laughs) I loved it.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. We've all got stories like this, and we thought... It would be kind of fun on today's podcast, in honor of Teacher Appreciation Day or, or Teacher Appreciation Week, whatever it is, uh, to actually bring in some students, uh, some students that Geist and I uh, have had, some we haven't had, and kind of hear their side of the story. Uh, so today we have with us uh, Dominic and Gabby, and I think we'd like to ask them some questions questions, right?
3: I'll I'll shoot first. First of all, no pressure. You don't have to say anyone's name if you don't want to. If you want to give them a shout out, go for it. One of the biggest things is kids relate with teachers in different ways. So what are some traits or what are some characteristics that your most memorable teachers have that really separates them from everyone else?
0: Uh, For me, I think what makes a great teacher and what teachers have connected with me uh, have been those that have been able to influence me either in a classroom, outside of the classroom, uh, those that give personal experiences to what they're teaching and uh, those teachers that are able to get to know you on a personal level that you could come into their room and sit down and have a conversation about anything and everything if they have the time for it
3: so it almost sounds like you appreciate a teacher that's going to treat you as an equal and not like talk down to you in any way you guys are on the same level you feel like you have a conversation you're comfortable talking with them approaching them things like that
0: yeah, that sort of stuff, like mutual respect between uh, teacher and student is pretty important. So when that's there, great connections are easily formed. Cool. Gabby, what about you?
1: Well, I've really enjoyed classes and been able to connect with the teachers that have been asking questions and not only teaching the content in classes, but they've been taking time to just talk about different points in life and just taking time in classes to talk about different things and not be lecturing to, to us the whole time
2: that's interesting that's something we touch a lot on when this podcast is just not lecturing the whole time trying to change it up do some different things i have a question i've always kind of wondered this as a teacher do you guys know like can you tell when a teacher is kind of going out on the limb to try some new things in class just to sort of get away from that lecture style is that obvious or is that not so apparent from the student point of view
0: i mean i think as a senior now i've been through 13 years of school, you can kind of see when a teacher is comfortable with what they're teaching or they're having trouble. Um, So I definitely feel like as an audience you can tell when they're trying to try something new to get classes attention or to help in a certain subject so you it's an it's apparent and
2: do you do you appreciate that
0: yeah for the most part you appreciate it i mean yes there's trial and error so they're working their kinks out especially young teachers yes they just went through schooling but they don't have the full experience that a lot of older teachers have so they're just trying to work out their kinks to see what fits best for their class
3: yeah i think that's a great point you know it's kind of cool having them here to asking them questions about teaching and I really know. i don't know why we didn't do this while we actually this should
2: be the whole podcast i got like 20 more questions
3: i got a lot of questions as well <laughs> but for me i remember uh, my 10th grade english teacher she was very vulnerable she said hey we're trying something new hopefully it goes over well i'm looking for feedback and let's see how it goes do you have teachers that come out and show their vulnerability you know that they know their content let's i mean let's be real about that but if they're going to try something new especially with all the technology that's coming out we didn't have this technology when I was in grade school and I mean I was one of the first ones to have a cell phone my senior year and it was the size of a a sneaker
2: yeah it was like a brick in your pocket
3: well you couldn't put it in your pocket so it was like one of those I don't know space phones in the sci-fi videos giant so do you like it when uh, teachers just flat out say that they're going to try something or would you rather them just do it and not worry about the vulnerability piece
1: well I think I really enjoy joy or like I appreciate when teachers tell us before they're going to try something new and it also gets to show us how they're trying new things when they're vulnerable it makes us I guess relate to them more because they can show a side that's not just strictly oh I know the content it's like them trying new things and trying like being more personal with us
2: yeah I think kind of what you're saying is we're all just people you know what I mean we're showing up every day to try to do a job and you guys are showing up every day kind of because you have to but I mean you're just the same you're just students trying to do your version of that job so to kind of show that side of like yeah I'm just gonna try something new it's sort of is relatable to everybody so we talk a
3: lot of technology on this podcast I'm interested hearing about what you guys are doing while incorporating technology into the classrooms.
2: Yeah. Is there like some, not to cut you off, but is there like some project or something or some, I don't know, anything recent with the Chromebooks or that your teachers have done with tablets or phones that really sticks out in your mind as like super impactful and better than, you know, more of like a traditional kind of sit there and do a worksheet sort of thing.
0: I think for a lot of the sciences, it works out better uh, with different technologies and stuff for math. It's. Yes or no answers, pretty much. But I know with physics, the camera on my cell phone, the stopwatch, and all those sort of applications that the phone has makes it easier for us to do the work and easier for the teachers to help us when we need help because they know what we're using and they're like, maybe try this way we show them a video of what we did and they can critique from there so cool all right gabby
1: i was also going to say for like physics um before we start new new units we do a lot of conceptual stuff and we do like these simulations and it helps so much for me to like understand what we're going to go into and understand what's going to happen during this unit it's easier to visualize it once you're using the chromebooks and d- using these different applications
3: I guess now's the time, if you guys have anyone that you want to give a shout-out to, or if you just rather just hold your peace, we could hold our peace here. I'm going to shout-out Aaron Oldfield. And Gabby's good.
1: Oh, I'll say (laughs) shout-out to Miss Rich.
3: All right, so we have Miss Rich, Aaron Oldfield, math teacher and business teacher, marketing. So Oldfield, Miss Rich, you've been shouted out.
2: You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at GotTech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. So today's teacher question of the day is an interesting one. First of all, it came from a former student that both Geis and I had in class years ago, and she's now actually a teacher in our building, which is pretty cool. Uh, the question was, uh, it was tricky. It definitely threw both of us for a loop. We actually disagreed a little bit on one of the aspects of this, so take a listen.
0: Hi, my name is Leah Hopkins, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the differences between standards-based learning and competency-based education.
2: Okay, so I swore up and down that standards standards based grading and competency based were the same thing. Geist tells me that they're very different, so we're kind of going to hash that out in front of you guys to compare the two and hopefully clarify exactly what they are. We're also going to start back with just traditional grading in general since that's what most people know. Anybody who's gone through the school system, the way that you were graded is most likely traditional grading, which pretty much just means you were given an A in chemistry or for your 6th grade class you got a B by the end of the year, right? Just that sort of one summative grade that wraps up all the work you did. That's what we mean when we talk about traditional grading systems. Uh, so this really emphasizes the teacher more than anything else. A lot, of, Some of you may have heard the phrase uh, sage on the stage, which means the teacher is running the show, the teacher is communicating all the information, of a very teacher kind of centered system where all of the work you do in a course is summed up pretty much just in one number. You got an 83, even though there might have been some things you did really good at and maybe other things you didn't do so good at, skills, knowledge, all of it. The problem with traditional grading is that it doesn't really give an accurate picture of what a student knows or what a student can do. So standards-based and competency-based kind of help account for some of those uh, shortcomings. You kind of hit on it, but the traditional teacher's role is to be that person that prescribes
3: learning activities and everything is controlled by the teacher. Right. Where the student's role is to be an absorber of information. Now, like you said, there are problems with this. And one is it doesn't take student interests into consideration at all. And that's very problematic because we've pointed out through theories, multiple intelligences and through research that students learn very differently from one another. Right. By doing the traditional teaching practice, you're not meeting the students' needs, which should be one of our main goals as a teacher.
2: Right. As you transition into this newer, I guess, although I think didn't you tell me standards based has been around for a while actually?
3: It has been around for a while. I I was looking up some articles to try to figure out how I can simplify standards-based versus competency-based. I was finding articles from the earlier 2000s. Okay.
2: I say newer just because I think I know actually our district is starting to switch over from a traditional style to standards-based grading. Right now, I believe it's happening in the elementary schools and it's kind of slowly moving up through the grades. So to me, it feels new, but I guess it's been around for a bit.
3: Yeah. But when you really look at what they're doing at the elementary school level, and I did look at it a little bit, it's really
2: competency-based grading, Okay.
3: but with holding on to some of the standards-based... Okay. Holdings of that.
2: Well, let's let's go through just to because it might all. It's probably if standards based is new to us, it might be new to some of our listeners as well. So I think the big difference between the traditional style that you're familiar with and standards based is that let's just take a student in say an English class as an example. At the end of the year with a traditional style, they just end up with a B or B minus or whatever or some kind of percentage for that whole class. But in standards based, it's a whole lot more complex. Within that same English class, there's a whole series of grades. So they. might get a percentage or some kind of a letter grade so they still have a grade but it's not just one grade for English it's one grade per standard or per learning objective or whatever whatever the school or teacher or district or state decides to call it there's specific learning goals where students get different grades and all under the umbrella of that one course so I think that kind of sums it up a little bit nicer and again the idea is just to help provide more accurate information for a student actually looking at their grades like okay I don't just have a B I got a B for these objectives, maybe a C for these. So I'm not doing as good there. So that's maybe where I need to do some more work and put in a little bit more effort. Does that sound uh, like a fair statement to you?
3: Yeah. And just to take it a step further, you have the teacher went from that person that was, you know, the sage on the stage to the person that is going to be the curator of resources. They're going to be the person that helps the students with feedback. In this system, feedback is more important than it ever has been because students are taking control of their learning. It's student-centered approach. They're making goals. The teachers are helping them make goals. What they do is they get all these assessments that allow them to manage and see progress of those goals. Okay. These grades for each standard allows the the student to know which standards he or she needs to work on.
2: Right. I think the really, it's, it's just a shift towards an actual focus on on learning. It seems funny to say that about schools. You would say you would hope that a school's focus is always learning, and I think for sure it has been, but. The standards based and competency based stuff just kind of recognizes that the feedback that we've been giving to students for a long time doesn't really let them understand perhaps what they've learned and what they didn't learn. So we're just trying to sort of bridge that gap now. Let's circle back around, I think, to competency-based because when I look at the two two things, standards-based versus competency, they seem pretty much the same to me. I know there's some differences in there, so we'll, we'll get into that part a little bit next. Both of them focus pretty heavily on making it more student-centered, I can say that. Does that sound good?
3: They both definitely make student-centered approaches approaches a linchpin in the way that they function absolutely
2: right but i think it seems it seems almost like the competency based is more of more of an educational style whereas the standards based is just how you grade within that
3: yeah so for standards based you're still going to get those letter grades you're you're still getting the a b c d f and you'll get it for that standard so what they might do is they might have 20 standards there and during that marking period you the student got 12 a's four or Bs and two Cs, and the next thing you know, you look at your report card and you got a B plus. Okay. Okay, but it's all it's line items like your taxes. Right. You have your standards there. You have a grade next to it, so it's it's a little bit more complex. I know teachers that do standards based grading, sure. but they still end up with a percentage somehow some way oh yeah they use their own formulas to figure that out yeah that way the students are still getting feedback based on standard but they're also still fitting in with the way that the school grades with the percentages right now with competency-based grading it's not so much about seat time it's not so much about how many hours or how many classes you have it's about meeting those competencies and it's based on a rubric just like standards-based grading however the rubric looks a little different we're no longer getting a's b's c's d's and f's we're now getting unsatisfactory, proficient, or advanced proficient based on each competency. Now, this is a little different. The wordage, the the jargon could be a little different. I've seen mastery as the top column right. instead of advanced proficient, but you're still working towards those. Quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four really doesn't play a factor in it anymore. They have a certain amount of time to meet these competencies so they could go on to
2: the next level. The word you used in there, mastery, I think is important we haven't mentioned that yet. Students advance through most of these things at their own pace. When they when they master one competency, that's when they move on to the next one. They don't follow the pacing set by the teacher, sort of like on a day-by-day basis as you would in a traditional kind of school setting. It's more just, okay, I, I figured this competency at where I met all these standards at a competent level. I mastered those, if that's what you want to call it. Now I move on to the next one when I'm ready and when I've accomplished that.
3: Another thing that we have to kind of bring in with the assessment piece is that both standards-based and competency-based look at assessments. There's assessments in both of them. Just how we look at them is a little different. In standards-based grading, you have selected assessments that are used for the grading purposes this is going to be our benchmark. It's going to be used to prove this standard. For competency-based education, your formative assessments are now the norm and they show progress. Every single day, in some way, shape, or form, a student should be getting some type of assessment, whether it's just like a do now where they plan their short-term goals for the day or their exit slip where they say, I'm writing in my journal today
2: what I accomplished. But they should be formative, right? This is all just to provide feedback on their progress, pretty much.
3: Right, And the brilliance behind all this is we're getting more tech savvy as a teacher population. Therefore, we're able to find new ways in order to formatively assess students to give them feedback right there and then. Right.
2: And I think that's to to bring it full circle to us and our podcast. That's why uh, we like this question because technology, we think, is one of the best ways to really facilitate this effectively. Uh, If you really want to emphasize learning and progression based on mastery of a competency, I can't think of a better way than technology, whether you're using Google Forms or some other kind of learning management system. A student answers a bunch of questions. It's automatically graded. They see what they did right and they did wrong instantly. And it's just a really great way to emphasize not getting a grade, but what did I know? What do I don't know, and then what are my next steps to to fill those gaps in?
3: So we talked a little bit about the formative assessments. Well, now we, there are still summative assessments as well, and this is determined when the students feel comfortable. They'll they'll set their own summative assessment, and it could be something from a electronic portfolio. Right where the students have to show what they know. It could be a standard test. It could be a test that the teacher made up, and that could be used for this. Sure, It's a mixture of both, but formative is very, very important when it comes to competency-based
2: education so what's a good way to wrap this up for people I know traditional is your can be thought of as like the far if we want to call it on the far left let's say usually at least super teacher centered you swing over to the far right hand side with standards based and competency based more student centered are they similar but different is that how we're going to sort of put a bow on this
3: yeah they are similar but different one thing I we didn't touch on that I really want to throw out here before we wrap this up is feedback and how important feedback is. oh yeah that's a good one in both standards based and competency based there are types of feedback that you could give and the quicker you could give this feedback the better because that means less time is wasted if a student is waiting to get feedback back or if a student gets feedback three days after he's done with activity and the feedback is negative yeah it's no good it's no good it just makes
2: it just makes them feel bad and they don't actually get anything out of it
3: yeah, it's a regression instead of progression. And right. Progression is motivation, and motivation is engagement, and engagement is student learning.
2: Whoa! Did I you just, just make that up right now. It just rolled <laughs> off oh the tip my of my tongue. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs>
3: So similar, but different. I think they're both effective if they're implemented the right way. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a challenge to go from traditional straight to competency-based grading. It's tough.
2: It's tough because it's a big shift, but there's a lot of benefits. I hope, Leah, we helped answer your question. And anybody else who listened, maybe learned some new things about some cool new ideas.
3: So Nick and I are both in our home stretch of our schooling. We, we make it a goal of ours to try to improve our craft and try to become lifelong learners. And we really take that to heart. And through our studies, we've come up with some really cool uh, strategies along the way and different theoretical approaches. And one that I want to share this week is the technology integration matrix, was, which was created by Florida Center for Instructional Technology, FCIT.
2: Yes. Uh, the, so this is one of the neatest things. This is one of the greatest things that I think we've come across either for the podcast or for our own continuing education. It's really awesome. It is. They call themselves a matrix. Really, to me, it's kind of set up like a, like a big giant table or a rubric even where a teacher or a school or a classroom can rate themselves on their their use or their integration of technology into the classroom. And it's got a lot of really interesting components. You can g- just give this a quick Google to find to find it for yourself and check it out. We'll also have the link in our show notes. We're going to start to describe this not every piece because it's really super involved, but just to kind of give you a flavor of how the uh, TIM or TIM is is set up. Going along the, the top axis, so the horizontal axis, there's five characteristics that are associated with levels of technology integration. So this would be like how well or kind of what stage a teacher or a school is at uh, in the process of bringing technology to the students. So I'll, I'll, I'll read those five titles just to give you guys a sense of what you should be looking at. It starts on the left-hand side which I guess would be the lowest levels with just uh, with the word entry. And entry is just teachers beginning to use technology tools for the first time. And as you move to the right from there, it slowly adds more and more integration with adoption at the next level, adaptation, infusion, and on the far, the highest level would be transformation, which is the teacher encouraging a lot of innovative use of technology, technology tools that facilitate a lot of higher order thinking where the students are are, are running the classroom and facilitating more of their own learning than actually relying on the teacher. So it kind of lets a school or a teacher rate themselves somewhere along that matrix.
3: Yeah, let me to tie this in with something that most of us know, and that's SAMR, uh, the SAMR model, because that's really what's going across the top here. Instead of having four categories like SAMR, which is substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition, we have five. The entry level is like the substitution. It's just switching out okay. something from before. Right. Right. The adoption is like the augmentation, the adaption is like the modification, and infusion and transformation are like redefinition. So as you go from the left side, it's more of a teacher initiated. So the teacher is bringing the technology in, prescribing the technology, telling the students, how to use it, when to use it, why to use it and all that. And as you start getting to adaptation and fusion transformation, it's becoming more student centered. So once again, it's going uh, along with our personalized learning, our blended learning, our student centered learning approaches. Right.
2: And I think it's just helpful to kind of let a teacher sort of evaluate themselves if you think you're using a lot of technology and you're doing and integrating it in a successful way, that that may be true, but it would be interesting to see where you fall along along those levels to maybe try and improve yourself even further. Right, and uh, I think now we should probably talk about the other part of the matrix. Sure, so then going down the uh, the left-hand side are some uh, some different descriptors. Um, these are, the, the the Tim refers to them as meaningful learning environments, and it might make uh, better sense when we read them off to you. The first one is active, then it moves down from there with collaborative, constructive, authentic, and goal-directed. My interpretation of these is it's more the things that the students are doing in the classroom, sort of like the student perspective on the different levels of technology integration. Does that sound correct?
3: Yeah, it's the environment, how the environment's set up, how the students fit into that environment, and how the pedagogy fits into that environment, and then the technology is considered. But going down the left side, we're familiar with Bloom's taxonomy, some of the 21st century skills. These are really blended into these categories, which right. then is going to make up our matrix. So if we pick one of the uh, top five going across the top say entry and we also say it's collaborative we go down to that matrix there and we would click on it and when you would click on the actual live integration matrix it would come up and i I chose the collaborative learning entry level square and uh what this matrix does, this interactive matrix, it's pretty cool. It tells you what the student uh, role is, what the teacher role is, and what the setting looks like. And For the collaborative learning entry level, the students uh, primarily work alone when using technology. Students may collaborate without using technology tools, so we said this is more of a substitution if we were combining the entry level with the whole idea of SAMR. Uh, The teacher directs students to work alone on tasks involving technology. So we're still prescribing things as a teacher. The setting is arranged for direct instruction and individual seat work. So this is traditional lecture-based teaching. I guess the goal behind all this is to try to work your way to the right Right. of the matrix.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and like uh, guys talked about, I think the coolest part about this, as long as you're looking at the online version of the matrix, they do have like a printer-friendly like paper copy you can print out, but you can pick any intersecting point, any intersecting version of these levels or the different environments you want. So I think you were just going through some of the, where collaborative intersected with the entry level. I'm just going to randomly pick another one. Uh, If if I wanted to see if I was at the adoption level, which is our second highest stage from entry, um, and within the active environment, which is whether students are engaged using technology as a tool in more of a passive way or an active way, I could click on that and get a whole bunch of descriptors for that exact intersection, active learning, adoption, Option level to try and judge myself there or gauge how to achieve that level and it like I said it lists what the students should be doing if that's where you're at it lists what the teachers should be doing it lists what the settings should look like Um, and I think the best part is every single one of these that you click on there's multiple I think it looks like each one has a minimum of four we've we've touched a bunch of them now and I don't think one has less than four but they've all got four actual videos of teachers doing uh, of of sample lessons within or that kind of fit each of those intersecting points along the matrix. So it'd be really, really helpful to to maybe compare what you do uh, to to one of these things to see if it looks similar to those sample lessons or not, or use it as a benchmark for yourself and something you'd like to achieve.
3: Also, if you just wanna get ideas on teaching. I mean, there's
2: plenty of ideas here. Like we're looking at active learning in the
3: infusion level and the four video lesson samples are magazine publishing, monuments and symbols of the US, culminating presentations and using digital tools in the field and all these are different grade levels you have six and eight k through two three through five and as you go through some of these you'll see some of the higher level ones as
2: well another a a really fun way to use this that that i've enjoyed for myself actually is to pick one of the really highest levels of the matrix like transformation or infusion those are the top two and and challenge yourself and go with one of the environments that is most challenging to you for me i think that would probably be uh, most likely the collaborative setting i don't know why that's just something I struggle with. Well, this allows you to click within the collaborative environment up at those high settings, and now I've got just sitting there waiting for me, not only the written descriptions, but the, like we were just talking about, the sample lessons, so I can actually watch teachers doing those things, and it kind of, it sort of demystifies those higher level things, which when you read them, can sometimes sound uh, really difficult and almost scare teachers off, but if you can see someone else doing it, see some examples, it kind of, at least for me, it takes away some of that anxiety, it's like, oh, that's not so bad. That's a really cool lesson. I can do that for my class in this way. And I think that's going to help some people grow a they use it in that way.
3: Yeah, and if you wanted to take this outside of the individual base professional development there i think this is definitely something that could be taken on by a school that has recently or is going to uh implement like one-to-one technology yes for all the students this is beneficial because not only does it get ideas out there but it, it tells you exactly how the teacher and how the students are in that environment and I think that's very, very important. A lot of teachers, I, I feel, think that they're not doing their job sometimes if they're up there um, just walking around monitoring groups. If they're not up lecturing, they, yes. they just feel like they're not doing their job.
2: Well, yeah, you hear a lot that that's the, the, I don't know if this is the right word, but this is, that's the wrong way to be doing things, or your students aren't learning the best that way. So it does kind of uh, not feel so good if, if that's what you're doing a lot of.
3: If you're an administrator or a teacher leader or tech integration specialist out there, uh, the site, it will be in our show notes, uh, gives you a whole bunch of resources. They have presentations already pre-made and they're very simple and the graphics are awesome. You can use it and uh, they encourage you to use it on the site. To reuse their materials and everything, so I think it's very cool when uh, groups of educators kind of go out there and they make something and they want everybody to use it and and uh, they give everyone permission to use it.
2: Yeah, this would be good too if you're in a uh, if you're in a PLC. so more of like a formal group that of collaborators or uh, like-minded educators at your school. If you're looking for a direction uh, for the coming school year, something that you that your group wants to focus on, like Eric said, is, is for professional development for pd this would be a, another really amazing tool just to kind of give you some ideas and and the, the resources are phenomenal on the not even just looking at the matrix itself just the the page or the, the website itself has a, has a whole separate link full of sample resources like i said presentations uh, they've even got a link here called tech cartoons diy presentation elements all sorts of handouts too there's just tons and tons of stuff for people to check out
3: yeah and uh, one of my favorite tabs up there is the professional learning tab it's all the videos that are in the matrix but it's broken down so you can click on it by subject and by grade level so i think that's also a a neat a neat tool there but if you get a chance go check out the technology integration matrix it's definitely something to take a look at it's a good one it's time for the tick battle royale And we're back for another Tech Battle Royale. Last week we uh, tied.
2: We did. It was a, a, a new event. Not sure how to handle the tie. Not sure how I feel about it. I guess it's better than losing, although I am I am losing track of our, our progress with all these things.
3: I think from now on, we'll just go with whoever won yeah. the last week. But since we tied, I will tell you this. We both held our heads up high in the hallway this week. It felt good. We definitely uh, were both in a good mood because our whole world revolves around these tech battle royales.
2: That's right. And um, I think... I don't know. How do we, how do we, I guess it doesn't really matter since we tied last time who spins or does any of that stuff. So,
3: no, nah, I mean, I'll, I'll spin the wheel. All Why right. don't you just, I'll pick the thing. Yeah. You're, you will go through some of the categories maybe
2: sure yeah so if you're new to the podcast the categories we uh, select from the spinner are productivity video and screen casting learning management systems uh, stem language google add-ons slash extensions we also throw in fun and games history research spinner's choice and i think the two best ones uh, teacher favorites and student favorites a very unique category so let's see let's see what we get today All right, what is our selected category there, Nick? Okay, it looks like we've got Google add-ons and extensions. Ooh, this is a good one. It's a very good one. Google, obviously, the whole Google platform, all the G Suite, uh, there's tons and tons and tons of stuff. We could talk about it for, for years if we had to. There's so many things, and it's it's changing every day. I know I've got a big pile of these to choose from, and, guys, I know you've got even more than me, so how about you kick it off this week and talk about your... App. What do you got? Do you have an app or an extension? Or Mine where you is going? an
3: extension, okay. and it's actually brought to us by the EdTech team. Okay, It's a, an extension called Checkmark. Now, if uh, any of you out there are familiar with Turnitin, I know I'm using Turnitin with my uh, classes. Sure. But uh, I often have teachers come up to me and say hey, I just have like a simple reflection piece from my students, but I have three classes of 25 students, uh, so I have 75 of these to do. And by uh, making comments to every single one of these in the margins, it just takes so much time and so much effort. And is there a way that we could speed up this process? And the answer is yes. The answer is Checkmark. So Checkmark is an extension. That allows you to basically hover your pointer over top of a, a section of text. So if a student is writing a paragraph and starts with a incomplete sentence or a spelling error, you can highlight a word. And, and uh, when you highlight the word by dragging your cursor over uh, the word, a selection of canned comments comes up. And one of them is SP. So you just take your mouse and uh, it will highlight that word in the person's uh, document. And off to the right it will say spelling error or fragment sentence or not a good topic sentence. But there's a list of canned comments which you can select from and it's very quick. So you could go about as fast as you could read. Uh, You can go down, select certain things and say maybe, you know, it's just a feedback tool and feedback is important nowadays and you want to do this quick. So 75 one page uh, discussion topics can be pretty rigorous and but with checkmark, it can make that time. It could save you time, so you could be with your friends and family and do the things that you love. There
2: you go. I gotta, I gotta say, it's it always sounded weird to me the idea of grading, especially grading papers electronically. It just sounds like it would take so long, and uh, doing it by hand and being able to write comments was always kind of the way I preferred. But man, I prefer grading and making comments and using some kind of tech uh, feature like what you just described way better. I I find it personally way faster.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I could see how you like it. I just think I would like a hybrid method sure I would like the opportunity to be able to grade them um, a little old-fashioned in that way and uh, I'm not sure how it would be handling 75 papers at one time if you could do that staring at the screen for that long right but uh, I I do appreciate uh, technology definitely making our lives a little easier as teachers.
2: All right, so that's uh, that's a, that's a good one. Mine is a, this is going to be weird because mine's actually pretty similar this time. It's called uh, Kaizena, and the spelling's a little bit strange on that. It's K A I Z E N A. Kaizena. You can find information on this at kaizena.com. Kaizena is a very similar tool. It integrates with Google Docs flawlessly. So when you're editing in the Google Doc, just like you would add a comment to something that a student submits to you where you highlight it and click the little comment button, when you install Kaizena on your computer, there's gonna be an additional little icon there for Kaizena that you can click on and when you do that a little window box pops up on the right-hand side of the screen and you can add comments pretty much like you were describing the only cool thing that Kaizena introduces is that there's multiple different types of comments you can leave and this is my favorite part uh, the first one and I think probably what would be my favorite part is one of the options for the comment is actually a voice message so now you don't even have to worry about writing something if you're going old-school paper and pencil writing your comment uh, so your hands getting tired out by the time you're going through that stack of 75 you don't don't have to worry about clicking and typing anything in. Now all you have to do is highlight it and click the voice message option, and your microphone kicks in, and you can verbally speak your comment, which I think is way faster. Um, something that we lose a lot, I think, with feedback is the personal, the personal element. If it's your voice and your your students know you and you've got, built a good rapport over the course of the year, how great would it be to, to hear the uh, a positive tone in your teacher's voice as they correct you instead of you know I, I don't know like a like that bright red pen that kind of brings on that stress and anxiety. Now you can you can really express uh, more of a like a therapeutic or just... You emotion. Know, yeah. You can, you, you can stress emotion. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. So voice message option. Really cool. Um, there's other types of comments as well. One of them is called um, a skill comment, which I haven't played around with too much. I think what it is is if there's certain skills you want to emphasize like transitions, if that's what you want your students to work on, you can highlight a piece and, and click the Uh, track a scale button and you can rate your students on a one, two, or three scale how they did with the transition you just highlighted. A three would be really good. A one would be not so good. It's supposed to, again, be a quicker way to say, hey, here's your transition. It was pretty good, so I'm gonna give you a two, but I think you could improve on this. Um, And the last one, Kaizena calls it attach a lesson, which I think is kind of a strange term, really. These are just your canned comments. So if there's a, a, a repetitious thing, you know, or you start grading and you find that you're leaving pretty much the same comment over and over and over again. You can create this in Kaizen, call it a lesson, and then that just really quickly pops in without even typing or talking or doing anything. Uh, there is one more type. It's just it's just a text message, really. So I think that pretty much mirrors just a regular comment that you could do with Google Doc um, in a Google Doc setting. But again, my favorite is the voice message element because of that personalization piece.
3: Well, I don't know what to say to that one because Wait. you have me covered.
2: Well let's go back. What kinda of, just remind me, what kind of comments can you leave with I can't even remember the yours uh, the name of yours <laughs>
3: <laughs> Oh clever guy. It is Checkmark. Oh that's and what I checkmark. I'm gonna stand by Checkmark. I've yep. used it. It's very, very simple to use and it's a very efficient tool and it gets the job done if you just need to do something. I would say this is for more of the short-sighted papers that okay. you don't need to worry about um, showing emotion to your students. And I agree. Uh, with technology, there's a lot of fear that socialization and just having the ability, Ability to verbally communicate gets lost it does it and, can yeah easily and kaizena I, it sounds like it does it keeps the integrity of that a little bit a so little bit, yeah. i'm gonna give you the w for this week yes. and uh, well i hope you have a great week leading up to memorial
2: day It feels like the, I mean, it's the best way to start it. A fresh win for me with Kazena. I really do want to recommend this to people. And also just to comment on something you said, the whole personalization piece. By the way, I don't think you or I would would recommend that any of this replaces just, you know, pulling your students aside during class and saying, hey, can we talk about this? I think that's something that maybe gets glossed over with the technology. But if you're giving comments with electronically submitted stuff, uh, at least you can bring in some element of that.
3: Yeah, and you you really got to have some form of Note taking and and verbal note taking, such as a conversation uh, that is recorded, is good because the student can go back and replay it, and yeah. they could read stuff that you you know wrote down. Obviously, but sometimes in a conversation, you know, some of that gets lost as they move away from that meeting. So, right, I think there's a there's a benefit to have both the functionality of Checkmark and also Kaizena. But we'll give you the W. We'll let you do the victory speech for this week, and uh, we'll have a new one out in another two weeks. If you want to get a hold of us, you can uh, reach us on Twitter at WeGotTech or go to our website at gottech.com.
2: George William Curtis was an influential writer and public speaker of the 1800s who earned distinction for his influential works that championed patriotism, loyalty, and equality for all Americans. Curtis once said, "'A man's country is not a certain area of land, of mountains, rivers, and woods, but is a principle and patriotism is loyalty to that principle. So as we close out Teacher Appreciation Week and approach Memorial Day, I thought it fitting we apply the same idea to education. Perhaps a teacher's classroom is not a certain space within the school walls. With the help of technology, it extends far beyond. And if this is true, then a classroom, like a country, is more principle than physical space, comprised of the students' relationships, learning materials, and goals that exist in and around it. With this in mind, I would like to thank the teachers who challenge themselves every day to make the most engaging engaging classrooms possible. Thanks for listening to Got Tech the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at wegottech or on our website gottech.com. If you've become a regular listener of Got Tech, we'd also like to encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or any other streaming service that you prefer. This will help us grow in the edtech space, bringing our listeners, that's you, bigger and better content. Until next time.